This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about ghee. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, and I struggled a lot. I was very concerned about the pronunciation, but I think I've got it. I think I can do it. Um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, was there any particular reason this was on your mind? Was there? <laughs> I love how every time I ask you this, you're like, oh. You're like, it could have been, it was days and days ago. It could have been anything. Um, it could have been that... literally anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and say no. No, just okay. absolutely. It just it just uh, sprung fully formed uh, into my mind. Uh or, I know you have a mysterious system. I do. Uh, which I really appreciate, actually. <laughs> and I don't know how it functions. Uh, so I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. It's, <laughs> we'll it's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how it functions either. Uh, it's a mystery to all of us. <laughs> I know. I, uh, it's a possibility that I was, like, looking into, like, maybe, like, a cheese in our rotation of topic mm. concepts. And I was looking at Paneer, and then I kind of uh, uh, hard shifted over to mm. Ghee, and then went, you know what, Ghee, yes, yes, the time, mm. the time is right. Uh, <laughs> Something in the air. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to talk about butter again. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Paneer is also a great topic, which we will return to one oh, day. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I will say I don't have too much experience with ghee, actually. Uh, I'm sure I've had it in a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, my mom, funnily enough, she uses it a lot. Oh, really? Huh. Um, but she only started to use it after I moved out. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. But yeah, sure. yeah, she uses it all the time. Huh. Uh, yeah, I've never made it myself. Um, and having done all of this reading, I'm like, okay, well, that's on the list. Uh, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've cooked with it a few times. Um, I've got friends who use it. Yeah. All the time and, uh, just sing its praises continually. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, as we have talked about many times on the show, uh, I do, I do love all of the really beautiful Indian slash South Asian subcontinent cuisine Mm, <laughs> restaurants mm-hmm. around Atlanta and uh it's basically just like making me want like biryani again so yeah 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 my uh little brother is coming to hang out with me this Friday and he's vegetarian and usually when we hang out we get Indian food because they have so many great vegetarian options mm-hmm. and I'm already like excited and planning oh, yeah. <laughs> what I'm gonna get everything oh yeah uh okay well does this bring us to our question i suppose it does Gee. what is it well uh ghee is a butter product that has been cooked down and strained to remove the water content and the milk solids respectively leaving pretty much just the fat and the fat soluble stuff Uh, It is a soft solid at room temperature and can be stored at room temperature without spoiling. It's also got some like nutty or toasty flavors from having been cooked. Uh, It's like clarified butter, but with more than just butter as a flavor or like browned butter, but with the the, the bits taken out. Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. it's like coconut oil that came from a cow and is lactose free and doesn't taste of coconut. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh it, it's like it's like someone out there wants you to have nice things it's like uh it's like it's dangerous to go alone take this but about butter um yeah and i feel like i've used that line before maybe with a cheese um but i feel like it applies here too yeah mm-hmm I think it, it was a similar thing in lentils, too, where it's like your oh. friend who's like, oh, I, I, I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. I'm going to give you good things. Like, <laughs> yeah. Similar vibe. Similar vibe. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. All right. I, I Again, I do get so excited every time I get to talk milk science. Um, and, you know, it's for good reasons because because milk is this useful food. Because it's got fats and proteins and sugars and water and some nice vitamins and minerals. But the problem is that lots of bacteria find milk to be a useful food, too. So if you don't eat it right away, they will. Uh, And that causes spoilage, uh, off flavors and textures. Maybe some of the microbes in there would make you sick if you consumed them. And so humans have come up with all kinds of ways to deal with that and preserve this, this tasty, nutritious stuff for longer. Modern science has given us uh, pasteurization and sterilization, but classically, you were looking at trying to direct the spoilage. And you do this by uh, taking any number of steps to make the milk an environment where harmful microbes cannot thrive. Uh, You know, they they need a a certain pH level. They need water and uh, sugars and proteins. Um, 
Often, this involves introducing helpful bacteria that uh, won't hurt you and also will use up some of the resources and also will acidify the milk. That happens to help you gather up the stuff that you want in the milk and get rid of the water. Um, And at that point, you can make stuff like yogurt or cheese or butter. Uh, All three of those things will stay good longer than milk, but it's best to keep them cool. And since refrigeration as we know it has only been around for like 100 years, what's next? Well, uh, you take butter, which is uh, which is really concentrated milk fat. Okay, like like milk is like five to twelve percent fat with a little stuff and a lot of water. Butter is like eighty to ninety percent fat with a little stuff and a little water. Um, with ghee, you're looking to achieve like ninety nine percent plus fat with a little stuff and zero point five percent water or less. Okay. So you heat your butter until those fats reach their boiling point, which is way above the boiling point of water, right? Um, uh, The the sugars and the proteins in the butter um, separate out and start cooking in the oil, like like they brown up a little. Um, That's the uh, Maillard reaction at work. Um, And then you simmer the butter for a good, like, 15-plus minutes, uh, releasing all of that water as steam as it boils off. Um, And then you can physically strain out the browned milk solids with a sieve, and the resulting oil is ghee. And yeah, it it really is simple to make at home as long as you uh, keep an eye on that simmer. Uh, Don't let the milk solids burn. Uh, But these days you can also buy it pre-made at stores. There's even a whole market out there for gourmet ghee uh, flavored with things like green tea or uh, cumin or apple or smoked salmon or truffle. Oh, wow. I know, right? Well, I'm already writing up my mother's Christmas list, Ooh. so maybe I had that on there. <laughs> oh, know. wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on on the other end, uh, when made commercially, uh, ghee is sometimes made straight from cream instead of butter. So I don't know. You get a get a get a whole range of products out there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, what whatever that range uh results in, uh, ghee is going to have a uh a, a melting point of like eighty five degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, I didn't I didn't look up the Celsius translation of that. It's a little bit above room temperature. Um, which means that ghee is generally solid, but but soft at room temperature. Uh, when it's made with with butter from grass-fed cows, it'll be just golden yellow in color. Um, when it's made from cultured butter, it's got just a very intense butter flavor because the, 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 the culturing, that lactic acid bacteria process, is what gives butter butter flavor. Um, it's also... Uh, Nutty and rich and and right, yeah, buttery, um, without being creamy or sweet like butter can be. And it is shelf stable and used as a cooking oil in all kinds of applications, from sautéing to deep frying, and also as a topping or a dip for um for breads and other foods. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love this. I have a whole world to explore. Uh, well, what about the nutrition? Huh. Um, if Butter is fat-concentrated milk. Uh, ghee is fat-concentrated butter. 
Um, so <laughs> so it is a calorie-dense food, um, high in saturated fats. Um, it retains those fat-soluble vitamins and minerals, which is great. Mm-hmm. As a cooking oil, it's nifty because um, it, it has a smoke point of, like, all the way up at, like, like over 450 Fahrenheit, like, like up to, like, 480 80, 85 Fahrenheit or like 250 Celsius, um, which means that you can use it to cook things at higher temperatures than stuff like butter without the oil starting to burn. And studies have found that it produces fewer toxic compounds uh, when heated to those high temperatures than vegetable oils do. So that's really cool. Uh, Mm It's generally also safe for people who have um, uh, milk sensitivities or allergies because usually those those sensitivities are to the lactose and the caseins, which um, have been removed in the case of ghee. Ah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we do have some numbers for you. We do. Uh, as of 2020, the global industrial production of ghee was just over 6 million tons and growing. Um Over half of that, uh, maybe like 60%, was being produced from cow milk uh, with buffalo and cow-buffalo mixes making up the rest. And the value of the ghee market was estimated at $45.7 billion as of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This is a traditional Indian product, and it's important to remember here that India has the largest dairy industry in the world. And furthermore, the ghee production is the largest segment of that market. Uh, I've read, though, in a couple places that around 90% of the ghee in India is still made by small independent producers using the traditional process. Um, Wow. Yeah. Also, in that traditional process, it takes about 30 liters of milk to make one liter of ghee. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I did see one statistic that at least one company reported a 25 to 30 percent increase in demand for ghee during the pandemic. Huh. Um, yeah, which sounds like it could definitely be involved in a lot of nostalgic, comforting dishes, but also oh, just sure. itself. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm making like a heavy nod. Yeah. But... I know the feeling when you're like, I just want some butter. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh, right? Like, so, yeah. sometimes it's that day. You're... Sometimes it's that day, and during the pandemic, it was that day a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, but there has been a long history of ghee. Oh, yes, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. back thank you sponsor yes thank you okay so whoo there's a lot of paths we could have gone down with this one i will tell you that uh, <laughs> uh-huh. and there there are so many things where i'm kind of gonna condense it like you might a gee uh but <laughs> uh because <laughs> there's just so much like traditional history and legends around yeah. gee. um and some of it I didn't feel super confident talking about. So I would love if uh, listeners would write in uh, if we miss anything, um, as always. Oh, oh, yeah. Value your input mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, low-key depend on your input. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Keep it coming. Um, but okay. Uh, ghee originated in India thousands of years ago, perhaps as early as 1500 BCE or maybe even as far back as 8,000 years ago to the Indus Valley based on, so they found like archaeological lipid evidence oh. on pottery in that region, which oh. I just love this. That is the, 
HBO Max series I want to see. Archaeological um, lipid ev- evidence? Yes. <laughs> yes. And I want it to be so serious. Like, I think this is key. <laughs> bah, bah, bah. Oh, my God. Uh, I would too. We in really love it. Every week. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> in many ways, Ghee was a, a solution type of thing where it was born out of necessity because it was too hot to store butter in that in that region for anything longer than a short period of time because of the heat. And one way to increase the shelf life was to clarify usually cow yak milk butter. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, to heat it until the water evaporates and leaving behind those milk solids. Um, so it was something that people had to figure out, which I think we talk about a lot in these in these episodes. Oh yeah, yeah. It's such a such a um, smart way of, mm-hmm. of a um, right doing a little bit of that sterilization because you're cooking it long enough to 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 kill off a lot of the critters that might be in there, and yeah, also right preserve it for longer. Yeah. I love it. I mean, this early on, people were figuring this out. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, for millennia in India, recipes have featured ghee. Myths have often painted it as something divine. One such story goes that the Hindu lord of the creatures rubbed his hands together to create ghee. And then he tossed it into the fire to make offspring. So it's like the very uh-huh. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people in India have long used it as part of a healthy diet. It was described as an item that was desired by the gods in Sanskrit writings. Vedic cooking was split into two categories, foods cooked in ghee and foods that weren't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and on top of that, it has long been seen as medicinal, yeah, and used to help digestion, to lower temperature, and to help with burn wounds, a bunch of other things, too. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh... And as we talked about in our Masala Chai episode, um, there wasn't really a formalized dairy industry in India until the 1900s. Uh, So skipping a little bit ahead. Um, uh, That was starting with a push from um, British colonists during World War I, um, leading up all the way through um, Operation Flood in the 1970s, which transformed India into the largest dairy producer in the world, as mentioned above. Um, And this is all super complicated. uh, And right, India is big and multicultural. uh, But suffice it to say that during the 1900s, the availability of milk for products like ghee really boomed. Yes. And I guess we should say... uh... This is not the the cow episode. This is or... still not. This is still <laughs> no. not the dairy industry in India episode. No, no, no. no, uh, no. We I have just... done butter and types of milk, but uh, still, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, future episodes for us to oh, worry about. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a problem for future us. Exactly. You're welcome, future us. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna love it. Uh, <laughs> there was a shortage of ghee in India when the population exploded in the 1930s. Um, And then this is kind of actually going back, but so if we have ghee production happening in India, in Europe, kind of around the same time as this was going on, I should say, not around the same time, but uh, folks started using crankshafts to separate fresh cream from raw milk, uh, but the methods they used were far more likely to result in butter. So they don't really have a ghee history. I think there was attempts to make it but they kind of kept just making butter (laughs) yeah (laughs) what i sound like from what it sounded like to me and then ghee's story in the u.s has been interesting to say the least 
one of the first mentions of ghee, or historians think it was ghee that was being discussed in the U.S., comes from no less than Edgar Allan Poe. What? And his 1831 work, Mrs. Found in a Bottle, which I had never heard of. I haven't heard of that uh, one either. Uh, yeah, that's a, a, a manuscript. Uh, M- MS found in a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Mrs. Oh, uh, no, no, that's it. <laughs> M- MS in this in this instance is the abbreviation for manuscript. <laughs> well, see, I clearly had never heard of it. Um, yeah, I should read it. I should check it out. Yeah. Um, there's also potential mention of Guy in an 1895 Mark Twain letter sent to Rudyard Kipling. Uh, in it, he asked for Kipling to, quote, be on hand with a few bottles of ghee, for I shall be thirsty. However, most attribute the first substantial mention uh, in the U.S. to a recipe featured in Goody's Ladies Book from 1863. And this was the most popular magazine during the Civil War. I know we've talked about it mm-hmm. a few times. Um and a lot of 19th century recipes called for clarified butter. And then there's an 1899 children's story that mentioned ghee. It's a story that ends in tigers being dissolved into ghee and then used to make pancakes. Huh. Children's stories can be so gnarly, I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> and it's also mentioned in the 1954 novel Nectar in a Sieve. When a lot of Indian immigrants arrived in the U.S. in the early 20th century, ghee did gain a bigger foothold here. Um, New York City's 1911 edition of Grocer's Encyclopedia mentioned ghee, and I think that was like a, it usually was like, ooh, something from a different country, let's focus on it, type of publication. Um, The first known restaurant serving Indian food in New York opened in 1913, or at least primarily serving Indian food. Opened in 1913, um, and ghee really took and ghee really took off in the U.S. in the 1950s when the U.S. government realized that it had a problem. Uh, American dairy farmers were sitting on 260 million pounds of surplus butter. Whoa! Yeah, a lot. So to keep it from going bad and to make a profit, of course, uh, they decided it should be turned into ghee. And shipped and sold in India. (laughs) Shipped to India, sold in India. Uh, They even sent dairy experts to India to sell the product. One such expert was Louis H. Bergwald. And while he was in India, he learned a couple of things about the taste of the peoples there. Uh, First, they varied by region. Very much. Uh, The Uh milks varied based on what was prevalent and available. And he was enthusiastic by these varied tastes, he saw an opportunity to capitalize, but nothing really came out of it in the end. Huh. Mm-hmm. In a 1955 New York Times article called Ghee is for Good by R.K. Nadian, he wrote, Ghee is no doubt clarified butter, but is also something more. In the same way that wine is more than the juice of a squeezed grape, ghee is like a genius born to a dull parent. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a turn, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't think, I don't think, oh, that is so 1955. You can't yep. say that anymore. Nope. That's not a, uh, wow. Yep. <laughs> You're just like, oh, yeah, why, why, oh, okay. <laughs> Heck. Um, yeah, indeed. However, in 1960, with shifting health trends in the U.S., geese started to be seen as unhealthy, something fatty that would clog up your arteries. That's something we talked about a lot with sugar. Mm-hmm. Um kind of this campaign around fat being, being terrible for you. bad and sugar being fine or mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> mhm 
Another, however, worldwide worldwide interest in ghee blew up uh, in the Western world um, alongside interest in health foods and the keto diet, for example. It was an ingredient in the trendy bulletproof coffee. In 2015, the same year the USDA revised its guidelines, Time magazine named ghee one of the healthiest foods of all time. Um, that so <laughs> in the U.S. it's gone. It's gone through yeah. a couple of reputation shifts, image shifts. <laughs> uh, that I oh my goodness I um it <laughs> yeah it's a lot. Uh, this I I uh, I feel like it's been a second since we've had a Killjoy corner, and I just mm-hmm. I have to say that it drives me heckin' nuts when people talk about like superfoods or mm. say that anything is like the healthiest food because as we talk about all the time like like nutrition is really complicated our bodies are really complicated like there's no oh it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah there's yeah. a lot more to it than that you can't just i mean i know i know it's i know it's a good clickbait or whatever to to right, be like right, right, right. but oh well and it's just so interesting to me because there's a part of you that, or at least a part of me, that wants to believe, like, oh, okay, this is good for me, this is bad for me, whatever. But this, in, like, this very quick timeline that I did, it goes from being, like, this is so unhealthy, don't eat this, to it is the healthiest thing. Yeah. In, like, not that long of a time. No. <laughs> within, within, actually, within, like, my lifetime. It is something... Always take those kinds of headlines with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find it interesting, are interesting and sometimes a little frightening how quickly we can shift on <laughs> health around food. Um, Thanks so. largely to the to the marketing and lobbying of yes. <laughs> big sugar, for example. Fun. Of big sugar, for example, yeah. Uh, but I to silver line this one. I'm very excited to to explore the world of ghee uh, in more detail. And I think that I'm going to have a, a, a lot of lovely things come out of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm thinking about that uh, package of butter that I just bought last week that is sitting in my fridge uh, and going like, hmm. Hmm. Options, options. Well... I think that's what we have to say about ghee for now. I think it is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Clarified. Oh. There's kind of a sinking in with clarified, you know? Yeah. Like settling in with yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'm thinking too deeply about this. That's probably what it is. Like like the milk solids settle out Mm -hmm. of the butter. Yeah. That was kind of a calming one. Yeah. Oh, um, hmm. before we get into listener mail, I did want to shout out my friend Marissa, who's uh, listens to the show. Um, she we recently hung out and she made me tadig, which we talked about oh. in a listener mail after our rice cooker episode because it's um, got the crisp rice on the bottom. It's a yeah. traditional Persian dish. Uh, and they kind of adapted rice cookers to be able to make it yeah. in that region. Uh, she made it for me, 
Uh, and I hope she's not mad. I discussed this with her, but I don't know if she realized that I was serious. Huh. Uh, so she, when she was giving me the ingredients of the recipe, she wanted one random tortilla. And I couldn't figure it out. Um, but that's kind of her and her family's trick of getting the crisp bottom is they put a tortilla and it crisp up around the rice and you flip it. Um, so huh. it's like a way of, of preserving. I don't want to say like cheating, but it's like a, you know, I'm going to yeah. make sure that you get this crisp bottom. And it was delicious. I loved it. Oh. And she was telling me about everybody's strong opinions about it. And I, I was just like, this is so cool. I'm kind of seeing something we talk about play out. But um, it was cool. I like I because I, I could not figure out for the life of me what that tortilla was for. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you're like one random tortilla like what like I <laughs> what? in this Persian recipe in this... what could it be but I love that I kind of love that that's also something we talk about a lot is how do you adapt uh based on what's available near you oh, sure. or time or yeah. cooking constraints or whatever um and these sort of cultures kind of intermingling and making the I, I don't know I, I was just kind of endeared by the whole oh, thing <laughs> no absolutely oh can I can I can I actually tell tell my uh Persian rice story too yeah yeah um uh, Annie you've heard this one but but uh uh the rest of y'all humans probably have not so shortly after we did that rice cooker episode um I clogged my kitchen sink terribly um, not like on purpose, like, but, uh, but I was, I was trying to put, I had like kind of a lot of takeout rice in my fridge that had gone off and like, I was trying to put it down the garbage disposal and rice, like, uh, like coffee grounds, uh, when it gets a little bit wet, it can just really, really, uh, non-Newtonianly lock up into an absolute blockage. And so this had happened and I called a plumber and, uh, uh, and this, very nice older Iranian gentleman comes to my house and uh and you know and we're and and, and we're chatting and he's you know trying to make friends with my cat and uh and he gets the clog out and like all of this rice comes out and he mm. looks at me and he's like that's that's a lot of rice do you do you eat that much rice? Where are you from? And I was like, I South Florida. I was <laughs> uh-huh. like, but yeah, we do eat a lot of rice in this household. And he like looks back at the rice and looks back at me. And he's like, this isn't very good quality rice. You, <laughs> you need to be eating better rice. What you need to do. And he proceeds to tell me about this Persian market <laughs> that's yes. up in the Vinings area. He's like, you need to go to this Persian market. They have the best rice there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, thank you. Uh, I've I've heard I've heard about this this dish, the 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 tadig with the with the crisp on the bottom, and his face just lights up, and he's like, how do you know about that? And I'm like, I'm not going to explain a podcast to you right now, sir. But I <laughs> but yeah, I read about it, and it sounds really good. <laughs> Oh my god! And it was just this, this <laughs> wonderful moment between these, you know, two humans who otherwise might not have hung out. And I, yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and I should mention, like, my friend Marissa, who has family. She has history from. She has family from Iran. Um, she also did this because I was going to get her the ingredients, and she was making it. Um, she said, "I'm getting the rice because I'm very particular." About <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. fair. 
No, Ace is so good. So I good. know. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was so it was so delicious. Thank you, Marissa. Um Oh yes, thank you. Uh-huh. Yes, you didn't get to have it, but yes. But yeah, no, I mean thank you, thank you for for providing the opportunity for the story. Yeah. Cause those I I love that. I really do. Um, all right. To the listener mail. Mm-hmm. Okay, I also love this. Um, Melissa wrote, Good morning. I just listened to the Sentimental Lintel episode and my heart is bursting with pride. I am Andrew's mom, Melissa, (laughs) the purveyor of obviously sentimental holiday treats, including the now infamous ranch oyster crackers. (laughs) So we read Andrew's uh, recipe and story about these crackers in that episode. Uh Um, Anyway, all right. Melissa continues, he is correct that I make these every year around the holidays, but also when we have large get-togethers, including Andrew's wedding weekend. We had a huge batch of these and other savory treats in large jars out by the pool for all the guests to enjoy. I love that something as simple as this has made such a big impact on my family and helped to win over our very sweet (laughs) daughter-in-law. Here is the recipe if you feel inclined. Whisk together three tablespoons ranch dressing mix, one packet, one teaspoon lemon pepper, one half to one teaspoon garlic salt, or one fourth teaspoon of the powder, one to two teaspoons dry dill, one cup canola. Toss with three bags oyster crackers, about 16 ounces each, until most of the oil is absorbed. You can bake on baking sheets at 250 for 15 to 20 minutes until golden if you like them extra crispy, but I skipped this step. You can also substitute some of the crackers for goldfish crackers if you want to make it a little more fun. Enjoy. Many blessings from Indiana. If you ever want to do a podcast about sugar cream pie, I am your girl. (laughs) Another one of Andrew's favorites. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, thank you for the recipe. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to try it so badly. Um, And I do. I mean, this again is I love this. I love that it's kind of the simple thing. But people bonded over it. People look forward to it. And it's bought all of it's bought all of us together. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. <laughs> oh, and sugar cream pie is is on the list. Yes. Um, yes. I yes. don't know that I know what that is, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the fun of it, Lauren. <laughs> that's the fun of it. <laughs> oh heck. Um Christine wrote. I very recently found your podcast, and I think it's going to be great binge listening. Uh, Seeing as you are proudly nerdy enough to talk about Dungeons & Dragons, you'll probably know what I mean when I say I'm in the Society for Creative Anachronism. I am greatly interested in the foods and cooking of medieval Europe and in food history in general. I'm also trying to finish a history honors thesis on the culinary and social history of puddings in medieval and early modern England. More on this later. This morning I listened to the episode on lentils. I don't like mushy lentils, which may be an autism thing, or it may be because this is one of the many foods destroyed by my 1980s Australian cookery. However, I do love French-style or puis lentils. Uh, You don't find many recipes for lentils in medieval Europe, probably because of their association with peasant food. Two Renaissance Italians, uh, I'm not going to say their names, both considered lentils utterly disgusting and not fit for human consumption. And one of them was the closest thing you'll find to a vegetarian at the time. However, there's a recipe I adapted from 16th century Germany that's been well-received, where the lentils are cooked in a spiced broth with finely minced onions, wine vinegar, sugar, and raisins. Uh, The spices, sugar, and raisins would have made this far too costly to be considered peasant food. 
this dish probably evolved from a class of mean joke dishes where typical peasant food was dressed up with extremely expensive ingredients to show the gulf between rich and poor. Let's just say Rush Limbaugh would have fitted right into the medieval sense of humor. And this brings us to English puddings. I firmly believe pudding derives from the Germanic uh, via the Anglo-Saxons rather than from the French. After the Norman Conquest, Anglo-Saxon English became the language of the subjugated peasant class. Anything associated with peasants, like farming and livestock, retained the Anglo-Saxon word, whilst most culinary terms became French. Puddings were firmly associated with poor people, particularly in urban areas up to the 15th century, and were typically made of offal, uh, the, the bits of the animal you only eat if you're desperate. But in the 15th century, you start to find recipes for puddings, uh, typically filled with sugar, spices, dried fruits, almonds, and rice, all the things poor people couldn't afford. There's even one recipe collection that contains a recipe called garbage, uh, which is all the entrails of a chicken cooked in a sweet spiced broth. However, by the 16th century, uh, puddings had become gourmet. No doubt Henry VIII had something to do with this. Uh, the man loved his food, and he clearly loved his puddings. His personal pantry regularly made payments to a woman to make him puddings, and she was given a pension when he died. He also gave costly gifts to visitors and courtiers who presented him with puddings. Uh, presumably, Henry's puddings contained only the best ingredients, though in the 16th century, offal became very fashionable and expensive. I do wonder if the Tudor equivalent of Marco Pierre White declared that being able to prepare awful well was the mark of a great cook. But even while puddings were the height of culinary fashion, the humble origins of puddings stuck around in reminders. Uh, a pudding was a common insult of Shakespeare's. Um, it's still a derogatory term used for overweight people, and a pudding head occasionally crops up to describe someone stupid. Uh, Pudding Lane, where the Great Fire of London started, got its name because it was the route the market laborers took to dump all the unsold meat and animal bits that hadn't sold into the Thames. Um, this material was called pudding. Uh, one of the many reasons no one drank from the river if they could help it. By the 18th century, pudding had taken on its typical British meaning today, um, another word for dessert, but associated more with um, everyday or, or family meals rather than something served to impress. In cookbooks from this period, you'll tend to find chapters for puddings, which are sweet but easy to make, um, with more technical showy sugar recipes in a different desserts chapter. This division coincided with sugar becoming cheaper because of uh, slave plantations. Uh, sugar dishes requiring long or complex preparation got the fancy title of dessert, while easier dishes got called puddings. Savory puddings, such as Yorkshire pudding, probably got their name through association with uh, suet or dripping. Uh, the earliest version of Yorkshire pudding was actually a batter poured into the bottom of a roasting tray to collect the meat juices, uh, while there are other regional savory puddings which are made with suet. I have no idea how pudding became associated with a sweet, semi-set starch custard in the United States. However, there is a very popular English dish first mentioned in the 13th century and is probably earlier um, called amidouan, A-M-I-D-O-U-N, no idea how to pronounce that, um, where wheat starch is combined with sweetened almond milk and gradually thickened. And this was still reasonably popular when Alfred Bird made it commercially available in the 19th century as 
custard. Custard is also a medieval dish, though it combines egg yolks with cream and is usually baked, often in a pie crust. Well, that's enough rambling from me for now. I will no doubt send further emails as I work through your back catalog. You are free to ignore them if necessary. Never. <laughs> we look forward to them. Oh, yeah, that is so delightful. I love that you have an academic pudding specialty. <laughs> I do, too. This is amazing. <laughs> the detail, the context, all the history, and all of it about pudding. It's really, like, <laughs> genuinely <laughs> amazing. <laughs> this, oh, this is so cool. Yeah, and see, and see, this is the kind of stuff, like, like, like we were talking about, or like you said earlier, Annie, like, like, we, we are not experts. We do not pretend mm -hmm. to be experts uh some of y'all out there are and that yes. is awesome uh we are just we are just fans of of food and of information about it and so you know we're just <laughs> yes yes i mean any any time any of y'all who are experts takes the time to share this with us oh so cool it is so appreciated and yes we like legitimately nerd out about it so Thank you. <laughs> Thank yes. you. And that's fascinating. We Pudding is going to be a very interesting episode, but <laughs> keep this in mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. 
And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.